Welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast series, brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance, discussing your life as a medical coder, offering coding tips and advice for coding students and professionals. Join us every Wednesday. Hey guys, as coders and billers, we get it. Healthcare compliance can be a hassle, inconvenient, and a headache that never goes away. That's why they've developed EpiCompliance, an easy-to-use software that helps you stay up to date and on track with the ever-changing requirements of healthcare compliance. This cloud-based software covers HIPAA, privacy and security, OSHA, and the ACA OIG Medicare Waste, Fraud, and Abuse Prevention compliance requirements. It includes forms, policies, tasks, and those mandated compliance trainings, all in one easy-to-use interface. Do you need to send and organize your business associate agreements to your clients? You can do that with EpiCompliance through their Business Associate Center. And most importantly in our profession, EpiCompliance covers you with billing and coding and prevention of waste, fraud, and abuse compliance. Don't risk getting on the CMS, HHS, OIG list of excluded individuals and entities, which is a permanent record on the internet. Ready to stay up to date and compliant every month with Epi Compliance? You have to do it. Did I mention it's required by law? Might as well do it right with Epi Compliance. Right now, Life as a Coder podcast listeners can save 20% on their subscription by visiting epicompliance.com slash Ozark and using the discount code Ozark20. That's epicompliance, E-P-I compliance.com forward slash O-Z-A-R-K and use the discount code Ozark20. That's O-Z-A-R-K-2-0. You work on your business, let EpiCompliance take care of your compliance. Hello, this is Jennifer McNamara with the Life as a Coder podcast series. Welcome to the show. Our program is brought to you from your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance, and our goal is to bring you timely industry topics in the field of health information management, as well as tips for work-life balance. If you're a first-time listener, we thank you for listening today. And if you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We have our disclaimer that our podcasts are not to be taken as legal or professional advice. It's based on our years of experience in the coding and billing industry. And our goal is to share with you what we've learned and why we love this industry. In today's episode, we have a very special guest with us, Dr. Hale Headley. Dr. Headley is a physician and entrepreneur. Dr. Hill Headley received an undergraduate degree in business with high honors from the University of Maryland. He went into the legal field as a graduate with honors from George Washington University School of Law. As a licensed attorney in Florida, he worked at a large multi-state law firm practicing business, litigation, and property law. He maintains an active law license and works as a consultant for medical and legal defense, primarily cases uh, and business startups. 
Dr. Headley went on to practice medicine. He attended and graduated with honors from Georgetown University School of Medicine and went on to complete the University of Florida Shands Jacksonville Emergency Medicine Residency Program. He maintains board certification from the American Board of Emergency Medicine and actively practices at a number of hospitals, primarily in Southern Georgia and Florida. Dr. Headley has always engaged in the entrepreneurial activity. He started a novel concept with online legal forms in 1997 that is still around. He is part of a rapidly expanding online healthcare compliance system for small to medium-sized healthcare concerns. Have you heard? Now the CCS exam is available without restrictions. Now is a great time to jumpstart your coding career with one of the most popular certifications in the country. The majority of employers require a CCS credential, and at Ozark Coding Alliance, we're here to help you achieve this goal. Join our workshop this July for only $129 and earn five CEUs. You can register at ccscoder.com. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Headley, for agreeing to be interviewed by us today here at the Life as a Coder podcast. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me, Jason. Well, I'm definitely very grateful that we crossed paths and that we're able to learn more about your company, EpiCompliance, which we'll talk a little bit more about later in the show. But for now, let's get to know you, Dr. Hale Headley. What is something about you that most people familiar with you wouldn't know? Mm, good question. Uh, there's a lot of stuff. I'm, uh, I guess you'd say I'm entrepreneurial, but the uh, uh, other things I've been doing lately, uh, I've uh, uh, taken up a little offshore uh, uh, open water sailing and uh, um, that uh, occupies a little bit of time and uh, it's kind of been hampered with the uh, COVID, but uh, also uh, recently with a, a group of people have started up a, a, a tequila company, um, which is just a, a really interesting uh process and uh concept so and i think it all revolves around travel so i i do love to travel and so i guess both those things travel to mexico sailing to uh caribbean that kind of thing but uh, that's probably the uh the, the newest uh, stuff and there'll be something tomorrow too i think so we'll see we'll see that's great. That's so exciting to, to hear and to learn about because, you know, you you definitely have the entrepreneurial spirit. When I when I read your bio and I, I think about all you've accomplished, you just have your hands in so many things. Just so great. And like myself as a coder and in reimbursement, you know, teaching, like I feel the same for myself in a different way. Like I feel like that is what I love to do. I like to be busy. I like to have my hands in, in several things. So that's great. So, you know, you've had a, a nice long career and um when you started out in this career, what was like the biggest thing that pushed you in that direction? Do you have any mentors or supporters that you can think of? Uh, in terms of medicine, um, yeah, it's always evolving. You know, there's somebody new that you meet and you have, you know, professors and, and things like that, that you model after. So there's probably not one specific uh, person and, you know, you'll learn something new every day. And there's um, uh, doctors I work with, <clears throat> excuse me, that, uh, you know, I, I, I admire and trust. And uh, so uh, I can't, you know, point to any specific uh, supporter or role model. And, uh, you know, the, the decision to go into this and, and, and motivation uh, was, you know, it was a challenge. And, uh, you know, I was in the, the legal field before this and uh, just uh, wanted to change and, and where I could, you know, presumably make a difference. 
That's great. And that, you know, that's really the, or the passion I see when I talk to physicians, a lot of times that's, you know, the answer we get is you, you definitely want to help people. Why else would you go into medicine? Why else would you want to, to do that, right? To affect change, to help someone improve their life. So when did you first become passionate about this in your life? What made that decision for you to go into medicine? You know, I, I don't, at first was the challenge and then obviously help people and, uh, you know, make a difference, the usual uh, uh, stuff. Uh, but uh, uh, more and more, it's kind of uh, evolved into, you know, now, and, and particularly, you know, medicine's a team effort, whether it's uh, billing and coding, nursing, or, you know, all the people involved. And uh, emergency medicine, which is where I practice now as well, uh, and where I did my uh, residency uh, was uh, in emergency medicine, is now it's one of the probably only free area where you can practice and and not have a huge administrative burden people you know pre-authorization for tests and things like that and it's it's a great freedom you know i can go in and if i need an mri i'm going to get an mri and uh, obviously you have to do it an indicated patient but you know for instance if you're uh, you know working in an outpatient setting it's it can be difficult. You got to go through you know a whole bunch of uh, insurance and third party payer uh, rigmarole. Whereas, man, I I, I can I can uh, do that at will. Uh, so it's a it's a, uh, kind of a great a uh, great place to be as far as that goes. So uh, that's kind of increased my passion, so to speak. And I currently work with a group that um, uh, I, I did residency with a, a bunch of the guys who uh, run it. And uh, so it's a good, good atmosphere. It's, it's the people you work with is, is what it is. So I found a good place. I really am happy to hear that because I feel like a lot of physicians that find that they, that's where they thrive. They, they have their team, they have those people around and they can trust and, and it's a good environment. I curse work with an orthopedic physician myself right now. I've been yeah. with, of course, since 2013 and, uh, you know, their team of physicians, I, I just, you know, I trust them, you know, they trust me to do my job. And so it's, it's a nice, a nice relationship. So I can definitely see how that would be, be a great thing for a physician to have. You know, there are a lot of challenges. I've been in the healthcare field since, you know, 2002 and seen a lot of changes, not only in my field, but just in medicine in general and, you know, increases in technology and things like that. But as far as like, you know, as a physician, what do you think some are the current challenges that physicians face today? Maybe they didn't face maybe several years ago. Oh, administrative uh, oversight and uh, burdensome regulations. And uh, particularly from the emergency medicine practice standpoint, it's uh, uh, timing metrics that are now in place that will affect your your billing and your reimbursement. You know, they have different um uh, timing uh, points such as, you know, when the person gets to the door and when they first see a practitioner and then their length of stay and uh, all those things go into uh, the mix. But uh, probably the most burdensome thing in, in the emergency department setting is, is, is the timing because you'll have up to 50 people in the waiting room. Well, unless you greet them, each one of them with a practitioner uh, within, you know, 10 minutes or 14 minutes, depending on what you're talking about, you, you aren't going to get paid fully. And uh, those go into your CMS metrics and everything else. Um, you know more about that than me. Um, so we actually have to essentially employ an extra physician assistant to sit out there and greet people and, you know, maybe order some labs or an x-ray or something like that. And then people go back out to a waiting room. That's just standard practice in an emergency department now, no matter where you are. Well, 
that can be problematic because, you know, what if they didn't get the whole story right? What if this person leaves before, you know, labs come back and, and whatnot? Um, and then uh, uh, not to mention the uh, 21st century cares information blocking stuff where people are now, they're able to review their labs sometimes before I can even communicate to them about it. And uh, they can review CT scans before, you know, the doctor has talked to them in a CT scan or a biopsy study that says, you know, there may be a cancer there or something like that, which now somebody, how do they know what to think about that? So that, um, <clears throat> all that goes into the sort of uh, administrative burden that's there. And, and the other ancillary things you have to think about besides what you want to do, the ABCs, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm more worried about, oh, did I uh, click on this patient uh, soon enough when they got back to the room or did I order the right uh, test in the right amount of time? You know, there, there are certain good clinical metrics, though, that come up. In particular, um, sepsis treatment, um, community-acquired pneumonia treatment, stroke and cardiac care, car uh, heart attacks and things like that. There's certain well-defined um, uh, guidelines, which those aren't necessarily the, uh, I guess, the ancillary administrative burden. Those are more directed towards clinical practice, which I don't mind. You know, you want to get your, you know, door to needle time uh, for a heart attack under 90 minutes. You want to get your, you know, door to TPA time under uh, 60 minutes uh, for a, a stroke uh, and, and that kind of thing. So um, when you have to then have cognition of the other processes that, that can muddy the water sometimes and uh, because we have to make a living as well. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's so nice to hear your perspective and what you go through, because I think the average person, he doesn't understand all the things that that affect a physician, you know, either in a practice or, of course, in the ER setting, the things they have to deal with. And, you know, you, of course, we, we know how involved you are with other things. And so we know you, of course, are uh, very involved in the company, EpiCompliance. So what made you go into compliance? What is it about compliance that you felt I wanted to go this this route and start this company? Uh, I hate compliance <laughs> is uh, the bottom line. No, well, uh, and I'll, I'll back up a little is uh, too. One of the reasons I went into emergency medicine is I don't have to carry a beeper. I don't have to have an office. I can do other things. I was involved with uh, uh, a legal forms uh, site on the internet prior to getting into medicine when I was a practicing attorney. And, uh, you know, I, I continued that for a while as well. Um, what got me into uh, one of my, uh, the current business I'm in, which is actually primarily what I'm doing now is the Epi Compliance System, is back in 2012, I uh, set up some uh, indigent care clinics, which we also got uh, Medicare funding for. Um, and uh, it was back when uh, the Obamacare, uh, Affordable Care Act, gave uh, Medicare parity to Medicaid patients. And I've worked in all the emergency departments around where I live now in Jacksonville, Florida, and it's a, a, a great resource for the emergency physician side where if you get somebody in who's unfunded or um, has uh, low level, uh, you know, state supported aid such as Medicaid, well, where do you send them for follow up? Nobody wants to see them. So I was like, well, this uh, Medicare parity makes things uh, reasonable in terms of reimbursement. I have a you know, bottomless pit of people I can tap for referrals in the emergency departments. And I've had staff privileges at several hospitals. So I uh, sort of converted that into an outpatient um, 
we set up two clinics uh, for that. And one of the things that I had to do as an emergency physician, all my credentialing had been done by hospitals or these big, big groups. So I wasn't familiar with, well, what you had to go through to get uh, insurance credentials, Medicare and Medicaid credentials, set up your office compliance process and all that, and which I had to do the right way. So I hired a gentleman, um, a, a PhD doctor, Dr. Jose Delgado, who was basically an expert in all this, had run community mental health centers and had a lot of experience with uh, setting up these type of operations. And uh, we set up these clinics and then, gosh, really almost a month we were set to open and spent a lot of money doing this. They went away from the Medicare parity to a capitated system that then just couldn't afford to stay open. So these clinics essentially closed down. We had hired nurse practitioners. We had uh, ancillary staff. So that was a big, uh, a, a big issue. But, you know, looking at uh, what we had gone through, one of the things that uh, Dr. Delgado had was uh, sort of an online compliance system that had, you know, your forms, your policies, and some of the annual education that you needed. And I said, that's a, that's a really nice system. Um, let's take this and uh, uh, instead of uh, paying you $1,000 a month, let's put it online and uh, offer it uh, so, you know, it's a little more streamlined and uh, affordable uh, for uh, physicians who were in my position or uh, any position to uh, execute their uh, compliance. And uh, uh, because like I said, just like in the emergency practice with all these metrics, it's something you don't wanna think about, you know you have to do it, but uh, you need to make it uh, user-friendly and push button, which is kind of what we've done with this system. And uh, that's uh, kind of been a fun process because it, uh, you know, distilled down all this amorphous uh, regulatory language and uh, processes. And we just create a few tasks a month and provide all the education and the things that auditors are looking for, whether it's HIPAA or it's OSHA or, uh, you know, Medicare and billing compliance stuff. Um, you know, and uh, so you can get about and do your job. Like the last thing I was worried about with these clinics was, you know, well, who's going to do my OSHA training or who's going to do this when I was worried about hey, getting patients in the door and uh, paying the bills. So that's, uh, that's how kind of that started. And it, it, uh, it's uh, morphed into a, a, a very nice thing, including we hold an annual conference. We have a ancillary education site and uh, I get to meet people uh, like you as well. So, well, it's been great um, getting to know you and your team at Ebby. You know, I got to have lunch with with uh, some of your team in, in Florida, yes. and so exciting to to hear more about what you do. And of course, I'm super excited for your spring conference. If I get to attend, I'm super excited to get to if I get to come in in the spring. So, and get back to Florida. I love I love Florida. So I hope I get to come back. But I I want to tell you, it's a great thing. Like it was what happened in my instance, getting connected with you. I of course mm -hmm. am the revenue cycle manager for a plastic surgery uh, practice. And our company, of course, does all of the billing and coding for this practice. They were, they were a new practice. I had to help them get set up, you know, credentialing all of the things that, you know, they're on their own. They, they don't have the people that they had before to do all those things. So that's where we come in. And of course, compliance is obviously at the top of the list of things. So when his wife asked me to get her some information about what we could do to make it streamlined, it's a small clinic. There's not a lot of employees and 
they needed a, you know, they're starting up, they need a, you know, an economic way to do this, <laughs> an economic way. And when I found it, it was just like, wow, like everything I need is right here. And it's just, it's so great. So we definitely are appreciative of, of Epi Compliance and what they offer. And so we, we do thank you for that. And, uh, you know, there are so many challenges in healthcare and, you know, there are changes that, that can be made or have been made. What are some of the changes you've seen others make in, in, in your field that have improved patient safety, for instance? I was thinking about that. Uh, and, uh, you know, in, in, and I'll talk specifically to the emergency department setting and, and also back up a little. And, and when we met Jennifer, it was, uh, we have trouble keeping up with you, by the way. So uh, thank you for all that uh, you've done. And uh, uh, we appreciate your insight and uh, in terms of uh, our compliance stuff. But uh, um, yeah, in terms of um, patient safety, that is a, a big issue in two respects in, in an emergency department setting is first, during the patient treatment cycle, you know, are these orders being put in right uh, with uh, electronic medical records the way they are now and the way they get set up? I've used multiple ones. There's a lot of uh, sort of uh, misclicking is a high possibility where you'll have two patient tabs open and, you know, you'll want to order a, a test on one and it'll accidentally be on the uh, tab of another patient. So it's the wrong patient you're putting the order in. Um, and uh, there's a lot of literature actually in emergency uh, medicine about the interruptions of all your uh, work cycle. You'll have anywhere from, you know, 10 to 12 times an hour, I'll get approached in the middle of everything to read an EKG for somebody in the lobby who I have to read within a certain time because of all these metrics. And uh, so that'll interrupt your uh, thought pattern. So you have to stay focused uh, on that. So part of that process and what I'll adopt, uh, particularly now, because there's a lot of, I guess, a nursing shortage right now. And mm -hmm. uh, so you'll get a lot of uh, nurses that have less experience than in prior years working in the emergency department or travel nurses working for a, uh, uh, a travel nursing uh, staffing company that, you know, aren't uh, uh, invested in your system and or just new there. So uh, most of what I do in that respect is uh, double check myself and then communication. And, you know, hey, it happens. It's rare. But, you know, if you put the order in the wrong person, you know, a nurse will say, hey, didn't you mean this for this person? And of course, because humans are fallible up to 4% of the time. You're going to make an error. That means you're human. So there's got to be cross checks. And there's also good, uh, good elements developed and uh, integrated into these uh, electronic medical records that, uh, uh, and systems. We use one called Epic right now, which is unrelated to my company, but uh, uh, it's, it's really good in terms of uh, melding sort of that administrative burden, such as uh, if you have a septic patient, you can uh, throw in an order set with uh, one click and it'll meet all your metrics, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, antibiotic timing and uh, what you're giving and things like that. And then, uh, so that's sort of on the patient care side and related to that. And one of the good things I like about uh, emergency medicine, like I said, is I can go in there. I do diagnosis. I treat critical illness and I don't have to have a beeper. I come in, I'll work my 12 hour shift and I go home. It's, 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 it's great. But the problems that uh, mostly occur in where 
most uh, medical uh, uh, errors happen and human errors happen is on the sign off between physicians that one is going off the shift and one's coming on the shift. So that's called sign out. And if you don't communicate adequately in the sign out, a lot of things can be missed. And there's a recent uh, study on that, in fact, that uh, uh, depending on the setting you're in, you'll be interrupted during your sign out to another physician about a group of patients you're, you know, uh, sort of uh, lateraling to that uh, doctor because you haven't finished the workup at the end of your shift. You have studies pending, you have CT scans or, you know, waiting for a call from a um, uh, consultant. So in the middle of that process, there's seven to 12 interruptions. So that outside uh, issue and then, you know, miscommunication, um, that's uh, an issue. So generally what you'll do in terms of that safety, you'll go through the uh, board with each patient and uh, uh, check off, you know, uh, all the uh, uh, points to do. So that's uh, probably the biggest patient safety issue is, is sign out. Uh, fortunately, you know, things with electronic records are a lot easier than uh, back when you had, uh, you know, papers flying all around with uh, lab tests here and CT results there and your other chart here. Um, so that's, uh, that's kind of the short story, uh, short story long. <laughs> well, thank you so much. You know, I, the reason I brought that up is because I think about, you know, your life as a physician, then you get into compliance and what, where your brain goes after going through something like that. Like you really have compliance on your brain now. How does that affect your, your life as a surgeon or, or as an emergency medicine physician when you think about compliance on your job now? Um, really doesn't other than the uh, billing metrics and things like that. And that's the other thing. People, they don't think about it. Uh, if you're in the middle of an issue with a patient, you know, you don't, you don't worry. You shouldn't have to worry uh, about those kind of things. It's obviously something I'm aware of. In particular, probably the most uh, important thing in the forefront of what I do is the, the HIPAA uh, um, uh, regulations. That's, uh, that's something that uh, obviously always comes up. Um, and, uh, in any setting, not just the emergency medicine setting and, uh, whether it's, you know, how do you call somebody from the waiting room to, you know, you've got, uh, you know, a, a family member, are they really a family member? Do these people have permission to come talk with this person? If you have a psychiatric patient, which is another, uh, common, uh, emergency department, uh, uh issue, which can occupy up to a, a third of our staff sometimes, uh, dealing with, uh, psychiatric emergencies or, uh, a presumed psychiatric emergencies. And uh, so there's a higher standard of care with that and disposition of uh, those patients. And uh, so that's uh, that in terms of uh, compliance is something that I think everybody has to deal with. And it's, it's rational, but in some cases, it, it's just not, not tenable. You can't do it in an emergency setting. So I'm sure there's lapses that, uh, that happen. Uh, most, uh, most definitely. So I'd say the HIPAA stuff and then the, the billing metric uh, stuff is there. Absolutely. Yes. And the reason I ask that is because I know as a physician, you have to be so concerned about your patient. So how important it is that you have this compliance piece 
someone taking care of it because you don't have time to, to think about all those things. You need to make sure they're there, of course, but you trust that that's happening because it's an important piece, but it's also way more important, right? To have your, your patients taken care of your, as physicians, it's important for you to take care of that aspect of things and, and trust the people around you that they're going to take care of all of those bureaucratical and, and legal things that have to happen. So um, is there anything else you'd like to share with us or anything else you want to say, uh, you know, today before we leave you? Uh, well, yeah. And on the uh, bureaucratic and administrative end, and it brings up, you know, now uh, with uh, HIPAA uh, decision-making uh, employees, managers, things like that, they're, they're going to be on the hook for fines. And uh, as you know, related to billing and, uh, and uh, coding for, for sure, uh, you know, that uh, Medicare auditors, and uh, some, you know, uh, special and SIU, special investigative unit uh, uh, auditors for insurance companies, they're paid on commission. Um, so it, it's kind of a strange process that, you know, you get a billing auditor coming in and he's going to get a pre- commission on how much that is uh, clawed back as well. Um, you know, there uh, is talk and actual regulation to uh, uh, put forth that people who, make HIPAA complaints are going to get a reward uh, for any um, uh, complaint that uh, goes through and has a fine attached to it. So there's, you know, it's kind of an administrative uh, Gestapo out there. And from the physician's perspective uh, that uh, a lot of them just don't want to deal with. And so that's why you need a system that just handles it uh, for you. And uh, particularly on the administrative side, because their licenses are at risk or your business as a, uh, coder that's at risk because man if you get audited and it takes away your livelihood you go on the lifetime or the uh, limit uh, the uh, uh, list of excluded uh, entities and individuals for CMS it's always on there you can t- take it off but that record's always on there and that'll affect how you can get a job particularly for a, a physician but uh, um, that's kind of the bad part of the closing but otherwise Hey, I enjoy what I'm doing. Uh, we help out physicians uh, just like your uh, plastic surgery service, you uh, a practice you referred. I mean, we can make their lives easier, take off the burden, and uh, you know, do it so they don't have to worry about it. Because, like I said, you're more worried about uh, taking care of your patients than than anything else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we thank you so much for joining us today. And we are very excited to have you join us for our virtual summit uh, in September. We're so excited to have you there. So yes, please, please, please. I want everyone to try to attend the virtual healthcare summit. That's OzarkSummit2021.com. And Dr. Headley will be there talking to us about anatomy as a a physician. He's going to talk to us about the anatomy of the musculoskeletal system, which I'm excited about. I've been in the spine. Oh my goodness. Yes. So much. We have the (laughs) spine coming too. We have spine we have a spine, uh, of course, uh, chiropractor talking to us about that. And then we have Dr. Headley talking about musculoskeletal. So together, we're going to get a full picture of the musculoskeletal anatomy. And I'm an ortho coder. That's my passion as far as coding. So that's what I've been doing most of my career. And so I definitely love my orthopedic anatomy. So I'm looking forward to hearing from you on that. And uh, so we look forward to seeing you there and uh, more, of course, coming out uh, about compliance the rest of our of our seasons coming up. We know we'll always have an option here uh, to talk to you guys about compliance here at our podcast. So thank you for joining us and supporting us here at Life as a Coder. And we hope you have a wonderful day, Dr. Headley. Great subject. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Life as a Coder podcast series, brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance. 
If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort. It helps us share the show with other coders, students, and professionals just like you. Come back every Wednesday for a new episode. We'll catch you then. Project Resume can make your medical coding dreams come true. From resumes to interview skills to navigating a successful career, Project Resume has the advice you need from coders you can trust. See all that we have to offer at projectresume.net. Be sure to reference this podcast when you place your order.